A note. Following advice from work-life imbalance may lead to action being taken by HR, your family, the authorities, or higher powers. Balance, an advice show focusing on workplace and lifestyle issues. Any resemblance to actual advice, living or dead, or actual wisdom is purely coincidental. I'm your favorite freelancer, Frank Eastman. And I'm your lovable office companion, Derek Lewis. Our weekly agenda includes addressing some audience questions and taking on a few issues from the internet. But first, time for the daily stand-up, Derek. This is going to be an interesting show, I think, because uh, you know how whenever you're preparing for any type of audio medium, uh, you like you know, maybe have like a cup of warm water with like honey or lemon, something like that. Yeah, I, I, I did that, but with chili instead. Oh, OK. Yeah, that's that's one of the best <laughs> things for making sure that those old vocal cords get all good and greased up. <laughs> Good and good and gummed up, like uh, uh, like throwing some sand into your uh, into your Vaseline. This more flimmy episode of Work Life and Balance. <laughs> you you have never heard us more flimmy. That's that's not true. We've had some flim, very flim heavy episodes with with sickness and things like that. Non sickness related flimminess. How about that? And I'm still, I'm a little stuffed up over here, and I just had some uh, keto Thai food, so I think we're <laughs> we're doing Wait. the best that we can. So, like, like, how did you even do keto Thai food? Because you can't have coconut milk, because it's got too many, uh, it's too sweet. Uh, you can't have noodles. You can't have rice. Did you just have, like, did you just have, like, meat that thai people had talked about like that's it it was a uh it was a peanut sauce the carbs are probably you know marginal um uh-huh in as in as much as there's probably more carbs than i would have liked but sure. instead of rice they put it on a bed of sauteed spinach okay that's fine it's not so bad it was, it was pretty good there's there's a couple of places here that that uh work well with my dietary needs Although less than I would have expected. I actually had more options in Birmingham and Atlanta than I do here in Seattle. I, you know, I can see that. I, I feel that uh, the most of the coastal cities are probably more um, more vegan friendly than keto friendly, oh, yeah. if I had yeah. to guess. Yeah, I could, I could find thousands of places to eat that are vegan, including yeah. a burger joint. Which... I'm 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 in I'm in for that's fine. I'll I'll try some non uh, non murdered animal meat, but uh, but no, yeah, I think that is kind of like the <laughs> that is a decision they make. Like, do we want to be a town that caters to like animal friendliness and like veganism, or do we want to cater to keto, which literally is is you know, let's kill animals as fast as people can possibly shove it down their, much. their gullet. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, can you eat as much as you possibly can in the way of animal tissue? I mean, 
I've seen some <laughs> vegan keto options, and it pretty much... <laughs> no! It's various this things that you can be. do with coconut oil. That's... It's... <laughs> Just coconut no, oil Frank, in many stop. splendid forms. Stop. Let's not look. Okay, I'm having a real hard time even even like wrapping my mind around the concept of vegan keto. Like never. Like very very rarely have two words like been put next together in in a more oxymoronic fashion. Oh, I don't know if I have the brain power to deal with this. Um. <laughs> Just gonna lick a coconut. That's that's all you've got left to you. <laughs> just, just lick a t- lick a coconut and pray for sustenance some other way. Uh, what'd you have for the daily stand up? Well, today I was gonna finish out talking about my trip to Seattle. Uh huh. Okay. See, I guess we hadn't actually made it too much further than the uh, the the wall drugstore that yep. you that that was threatening to to suck you in and keep you in its orbit for all eternity but you broke out i mean i i'm still to some extent in south dakota again i will never (laughs) have left south dakota and i will be there forever and in fact i think we might have died when we went into wyoming Uh (laughs) uh-huh because it was may and Mm -hmm. in birmingham that meant it was already 90 degrees. Right. Nice and nice and gross. So we decided to take the northern passage. Okay. Instead of going across the south of the United States, we pretty much went up and then over, which is, you know, how we ended up in South Dakota. Well, then we decided to take a shortcut along a little road that then went up into the mountains. Uh-oh. Oh no. <laughs> And I don't know if you know this, Derek, but when you get far enough north and at a high enough elevation, apparently Uh mid-May, the passes haven't necessarily thawed yet. This is, this is correct. I learned, dude, I learned about this on the, the, you know, the Oregon Trail video game. I learned about this in many documentaries about the Donner Party. I'm just... I'm just wondering how you were surprised. Uh, sometimes I'm a dumb dumb, Derek. Sometimes these <laughs> things just. When we I set off, this. I was worried about being sweaty. I was wearing shorts. <laughs> I packed all of oh, my no. coats and jackets. Oh no! Oh, so oh, we boy. get. So you were you were ultimately unprepared for this. Well, we get to this rural-ass area on this little tiny side road that's just, you know, it's it's on the map, but it's just two lanes. And the car starts to act up a little bit. Come to find out, the car doesn't like cold weather and high elevations. And guess where we Oof. were, Derek? Cold and high. Yep, it started snowing and the car started sort of sputtering out. Later, we learned that we've got like a, a spark plug that isn't necessarily wanting to uh, to fire uh, under less than optimal circumstances. Sure, but you're you're supposed to have a few extras. Like that's what they're all there yeah. for. So that if one goes down, you got like five or six spares. But we're we're trolling along, and it's like you know it's beautiful outside, and we're just kind of looking around, and we're like, man, this has gotten really rural really quickly. I mean. 
we we had entered Wyoming. There was a few things there, and then we turned off on the side road to go up into the mountains, and everything sort of disappeared. There weren't uh-huh. you know any any stops. There weren't uh, places that you could get gas, and then the car starts <laughs> acting up. Oh, it starts sputtering. God. We start losing power. Eventually, I'm forced to pull over. <laughs> And and I'm literally looking at a snowy pass through <laughs> the mountains. The road goes uh-huh. between two mountains, and there's snow everywhere. And the car stopped working, and I was like, this is how it ends, I guess. <laughs> well, well, technically, no. This is how it ends for you. But you've been pre- – you know, we, we joke about our, our ourselves being hefty people. Um Really, we're just planning for for family safety because yes. now now that you're in, you might have been in a Donner Party situation. You you are the the you know the long term meal plan, so <laughs> they they should be able to hold out till midsummer. So I've often joked because we had the cats with us, and I've often joked that <laughs> with my cat, it's going to be one or the other of us. Whichever one of us goes uh-huh. first, the other's going to eat. Just right. As nature intended. And I, I right. figured that this was the time. This is when we were going to have to decide which of us <laughs> left the car. <laughs> but eventually I, I turned the car off. I turned the car on and we sputtered and sort of jerkily, haltingly got ourselves up to the top of the mountain. And I was thinking, all right, this was a this was a bad idea. I had a bad idea. I could have had better ideas, but we'll make sure. the best that we can with this. And we get to the other side of the mountain, and there's just nothing out there for miles and miles, and our car is still not working. And so we're kind of easing it back down the mountain, and I'm thinking, all right, maybe maybe we can find civilization somewhere. Uh-huh. And eventually, we did find civilization just in time for the car to miraculously start working perfectly fine again. <laughs> and this no, is, this is kind of you... how we discovered that the car doesn't necessarily work at high elevations and cold temperatures. Because we came back right. down out of the mountain to find civilization and everybody's like, the car seems to work fine. And it's like, well, it didn't <laughs> yeah, when I was I... on the mountain and contemplating having to eat my cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds, it definitely sounds like... Uh, the, the the civilization stopped uh, on the so when you're going up the mountain civilization stopped before altitude was a problem and uh, there was nobody up there uh, when you came back down same thing nobody there until the altitude stopped being a problem so maybe it was you know it seemed coincidental but uh, maybe there's a reason that people did not go to the top of the mountain all the time maybe there's some some strange reason. Yeah, it's it's probably because it's an inhospitable place where people shouldn't go, Derek. And <laughs> and that kind of describes Wyoming. Uh-huh. Wyoming now, is I, a is a creepy place. There there's there's a lot of, of land and not a lot of people in Wyoming. I, I joked about South Dakota, but like I didn't really know about South Dakota. I did live in Wyoming for like a year and a half when I was a kid. So like I remember driving for hours and you know whenever you're in like you know idaho or you know um kentucky or you know missouri like you get you get miles and miles of nothing but like flat and corn 
and that's all you get. Like cornfields and power lines, that's the the majority of the the plain states. Um, but then when you get out to like Wyoming, like you can drive for hours and see nothing but but just white snow and like a little bit of like muddy you know muddy tracks along the road. But that's it. You just you just go and hope that you that you got enough gas. Like that's it. <laughs> Eventually, we got to Montana. So I'm looking up. I'm I'm going to Google a map of the United States because my geography is not very strong. So I want to follow along with this journey so far. All right. So I've got a map of the United States. So we went from Alabama, skipped a few states that that we don't care about that aren't very funny. Went to South Dakota, Wyoming, and now we are in Montana. Right. We cut to... across. We cut across a bit of a corner of Wyoming, uh-huh. and we get into Montana. So that we can head up towards uh, Spokane, Washington. Okay. Now, Wyoming, there was just not a whole lot there except for some mountain. You know, Yellowstone's down there. You get into Montana, and Montana is a little similar to to Wyoming, except it seems to be surrounded on all sides by mountains. Okay. And it feels very—they call it Big Sky Country, and I'd never really, you know, thought of why— until I had been there. And you look around and on every horizon is a gigantic mountain range. But then inside of Montana itself, it just seems to be flat-ass nothing again. <laughs> so, like, all of Montana is one big valley, essentially. Pretty much. Where all the Everybody decided to settle in the valleys. We went through Butte, and I was honestly, honestly expecting that I was going to get to you know, bring a lot of comedy to my Butte, Montana right. experience. Right. Which I'm I'm trying to, to let you finish sentences while saying Butte without making fun of it. Um, so, but my resolve is waning, so please continue and hurry. Here's the thing. Nobody in Butte finds the name of the city funny. And it's not even <laughs> in a we're tired of hearing the joke kind of way. Uh-huh. I, I looked around. We went to several places looking for something that was funny that was was like, you know, I, I've got a nice butte. Right. Um, you know, I'm more of a butte man. Something. Something that would just. Everything's better in the butte. Yeah. Just really touch on, on uh, you know, the name and and its funny possibilities. Right. And and the people of Butte seem to be not necessarily a comedic people. <laughs> I mean, do you think it's because the, the the life has is difficult, or do you think that they're just not they're not much for wordplay? I think they're just not much for wordplay in Butte, uh-huh. Montana. They they seem to be a, a hardy and hardworking people who don't have time. For nonsense, like making fun of the fact that their their city looks like the word "butt," right? <laughs> and and that's such a shame because, I mean, I feel that the rest of the United States uh, has made them the 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 butte of a lot of jokes. Indeed, but you know they they themselves don't either don't notice it or don't care or have built up a tolerance um, to to not. Not even have it register. That's a shame. So how long were you in the Butte? 
I, I was in the butte for a while. I mean, you kind of got to ease in and <laughs> we stopped for a bit to, to make sure that we could make the transition easily enough, but uh-huh. couldn't find anything funny about it. And eventually we had to pull out. <laughs> oh, so, I mean, do you find yourself going back to going back to the Butte? No, I don't, I don't think I'm going to go back to the Butte. I think that it wasn't a, it wasn't for me. <laughs> well, it's, it's good that you learned about yourself. <laughs> All right. Do you want to get for, uh, to a question for the audience? Hey, BBs, business boys, in parentheses. <laughs> I work in an IT group with a number of other network professionals and generally enjoy the people I work with. However, there is a concerning trend going on with one of my coworkers, who has worked for the company for over 10 years. He has begun adding monitors to his battle station, as he calls it. It started with going from two to three monitors, which was understandable, but he just keeps going. He's currently up to six monitors and is discussing with management the need to add more. He has run out of desk space, so the next row of monitors will be mounted above the others on these strange, expensive stands that look like they are straight out of a sci-fi movie. I've asked him casually what he needs all those monitors for, to which he responds, You can never have too many dashboards. (laughs) I'm concerned for his mental health, but also for his physical safety. A collapse of a structure that size could easily crush him, and that would certainly negatively affect our deadlines. (laughs) Monitoring madness in Middleton. (laughs) So it seems Triple M didn't necessarily... He didn't ask a question, or she didn't ask a question... Is it is it what do I do about this person or how do I prepare for the inevitable the inevitable I mean, disaster? I mean, I think it has to be both because I mean once somebody has set upon this like this uh slippery slope of like monitor expansion, it is going to be difficult to talk them out of it. So I think they do have to have that contingency plan in place um for the ultimate <laughs> I mean the ultimate uh, outcome of this person being crushed underneath the, the weight of their mountain of monitors. Is, is there any way that we can prevent this? I mean, is there a structure that we can build that will be I mean, resilient enough? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think that we do have materials on Earth uh, that, that could construct a, a, some sort of structure to hold that many monitors, but I'm, I'm just concerned that you don't normally get those from Amazon. Like, I... I am concerned that that they may be going for uh, cost benefit uh, or, or cost efficiency rather than like pure construction strength. I mean, I, I imagine that you would have to to get into mechanical engineering or structural engineering uh, to to understand the the best structure. But um, I mean, what if this person like goes so far uh, as to construct a literal like globe of us a, a sphere? Of monitors, to where you know one one monitor has like a, a little you know a little knob on it that o- operates as a door handle to let him out of the sphere, but it's basically like, I guess like a hamster ball <laughs> of monitors. 
I think I've, I, mean, I think I've seen this, Derek, and I realize now that Darth Vader was trying to get his Netflix and chill on when he was disturbed, and they had to lift up half the globe of monitors and put his hat back on so that he could get out. Mm, that that could explain some things. Um, and maybe that's where this guy, like, maybe this person is heading in the Darth Vader direction. Like, eventually he wants to get encased completely in monitors, not not a, out of any need for additional dashboards, but so that he can become some sort of supervillain. I mean, that that's not a bad thought. And, I mean, it does seem to be, like, I think any amount of, like, unnecessary excess of pretty much anything, um, whether it be... Um, you know, uh, seizing power from, you know, government agencies or excess, like, body hair or excess strength or excess, uh, you know, x-ray vision or anything like that. Anything to excess, I think, can can a supervillain make. So I how think it's kind of what we're how getting How much into. is just enough x-ray vision, Derek? That's, that's a question that immediately was raised by your <sighs> statement. Not to interrupt, but I just... I need to know how much is the right amount of X-ray vision. I, okay, so so let, let me let me rephrase. Maybe it wasn't the X-ray vision, um, because I, I I don't think I guess there's not really like amounts of X-ray vision. I think I'm I meant more like laser vision, like the ability to uh, you know emit lasers, like emitting small lasers. Like you probably couldn't conquer a planet, but like if your laser vision could like slice through planets, I think you could be pretty. Uh, pretty convincing to the UN of why you should lead the the world now. Um, that I think that was my point. I I'm sorry. Ah, I, I didn't see. I didn't mean to misstate X-ray vision. I I understand that's an important distinction. But uh, but yeah. So anything in excess, I like. I, I think the monitors it could lead to a a supervillain situation. My only question is. Once he is is permanently encased in his hamster ball of monitors, is he really a threat to anybody? Like, what what would his powers be? I think I think with that many monitors, he would be able to have a dashboard for everything, literally everything. He would know all. So okay, so his his. Multiple monitors are are giving him, you know, some sort, some form of uh, omniscience, which, you know, I I, I could see that being a, a superpower. Um, what what's the what's the room in X Men that that does that? Xavier has that big room that, uh, I mean, essentially, this may be what he's trying to create. Something That's, that can magnify his his weak psychic abilities so that he can reach out and touch everyone. Well, okay. So maybe, maybe less that maybe this is the, the low budget version of like, if I can't psychically link with everybody, I'll at least be able to check on CPU usage for most of the computers on the planet. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'll know when Ram use spikes. I'll know when we're using too many cores on stock market computers. You know something's going on. <laughs> I I okay. I I think the supervillain thing may may not be the most likely thing. I I honestly think uh, this whole hamster ball thing. Um, even if he doesn't go as far as hamster balls, 
you know, I have seen people use these walls of monitors um, essentially to to cut them off from human interaction. You know, somebody that comes in and has like an entire array of monitors, you know, around them. I mean, you probably are not going to be so keen on getting inside their personal space. So I think that may be the more likely thing that's going on. Doesn't it start with distancing yourself from humanity, Derek? You no longer can connect with normal people who don't know exactly how much hard disk space is left on all the computers in the planet simultaneously. So you're saying you just, that, that you this can't is just a... see their their simple human issues, and that's when you become monitor seer of all. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm 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 back in the supervillain camp. Monitor. Uh. Okay. Well, if we're if we're leaning into it, who would be the superhero to to try to defeat Monitor? A guy with some with... scissors, <laughs> or or really any sharp object. Um, monitors are are very notoriously uh, bad against anything, any sharp corner. Maybe something to do with privacy. I I don't know that. In this day and age, it seems a little bit rote to uh, to have somebody be a a, a privacy superhero superhero. Iron filings, man. He just walks around and he's got like a cloud of iron filings around him like uh, Pigpen has dirt. Uh-huh. And he gets too close to the monitors and... I, I I do still feel that my argument that somebody with like a, I don't know, a, a particularly pointy rock could get in there and just fuck it up the same. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> just <saying>. Ads, man. <laughs> Wielder of the most primitive axe. <laughs> we, we've talked about what he may become. Um, is there any way to... So if if they can find some particularly sharp rocks and don't care about their job um, or can develop some other superpower to, uh, to make all the monitors stop working at once, I mean, I guess unplugging would be, would be fine. But uh, if they can't stop it if they can't stop what's what's going to happen, what happens when this person finally meets their demise? Whether through a a monitor falling incident or the superhero overtakes them. I mean, I think it depends on how far they've managed to get in their hamster ball of monitors. Like if if they've gotten completely hamster balled and there's no entrance or exit. Uh-huh. I think this is a situation in which we're gonna have to take out a wall. And just kind of roll the mass outside and have it taken away. Right, which I mean that's that's like fine. Like that that's dealing with like the physical fallout of of you know the, the catastrophe. I'm talking about what this person is really concerned about, which was the uh the increase in their workload that comes from this by this person being crushed. Oh, I mean, the, is there any, the it, only it, response then is that they're going to have to take up the slack on dashboards yep. and and they will become the next monitor. It's a curse, really. It's <laughs> once you've seen the data that you can get from the dashboards, you are inevitably drawn to adding more and more monitors to your own personal rig until we're all encapsulated. 
this this is dangerous. Um, but but I think you're right. As soon as I finished talking, I, I realized I realized what what the outcome was going to be. So we know that that after this person is crushed, they become the next monitor. Um, so so one of two things: how do they break the cycle, or how do they effectively become monitor to keep themselves from from being crushed? Because we're all about solutions here. Workable solutions come out of this podcast, as we are, as is our mantra. I think part of it is like I've seen more and more curved screens in the monitor uh-huh. biz lately. And I think those will help you be more efficient in your encasement because it's less mm. trying to form a globe out of flat panels and more there's already a curvature. That's a good point. Uh, they did and you make can a point of saying that curvature. Right. They they did make a point of saying that the person had been there for like ten years, so so chances are they started their collection of of you know their vast array of monitors with like some of those crappy like uh, I forget the asterisk like four by three monitors and have started to you know go out from there. Um, so it's it's including a lot of older technology that wasn't good for building this this you know, this massive hamster ball array. So yeah, if they start today with some of those curved screens, I think they could do it well. Yeah, I mean I think I think the original monitor has a couple of like those twenty six inch CRTs that weigh about hundred and eighty pounds a piece. <laughs> oh Christ. Oh that's <laughs> I was thinking about a full structural collapse causing the calamity. With one of those bad boys, like just one like if one of those just wings you on the way down, you're done. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a problem. I don't think he's going to be able to get very far using those old monitors because the heat output from those, if if I remember correctly, was not insignificant. And you put enough right. in a room, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, and he's just so, going to be super villain jerky, right? <laughs> so uh, either. This I I think this is a problem that's going to solve itself. Either he's going to be uh, lightly winged by one of those CRT monitors and killed, or he's going to be baked, uh, hoisted on his own petard, as it were, uh, baked by the CRT monitors, um, or you know some of the early days of uh, of LCD monitors. Either way, um, you should go ahead and start preparing because you will be the next monitor, but you will be a better monitor than he ever was. And I would suggest you go ahead and start hiring now for the person who's going to replace you when your time comes. Want to get to an issue from the internet, Derek? That sounds just fine. Let me pull up my 15th monitor over here. All right. No, Derek, look out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I... I used to work at Circuit City, and we had to uh, we we had to set up displays for those big like CRT monitors. Some of those bad boys weighed like forty five pounds. God, that oh, that no, flimsy I... those flimsy shelves were just no match for like a row of ten of them. Man, I had uh, I had one. It was a twenty four or twenty six inch. Like today, it wouldn't be very big. Mm-hmm. But I had to have a full size desk because it was a it was like two feet long, <laughs> and not anything like this IKEA stuff. No, like it had to be like dense 
Oak. When it came on, it kind of went. <laughs> People a couple of cities over noticed their lights dim a little bit. It's oh. like, uh oh, Frank's writing a term paper. <laughs> All right. This issue is entitled How to Ask My Supervisor to Read My Emails Instead of Asking Me by Nice Guy. Sure. I'm working in IT and I include my supervisor in emails when necessary. I notify him through JIRA tickets, uh, JIRA being an issue tracking service, or uh, JIRA tracking framework, whatever. Um, it's nerd shit, Derek. Nerd shit, yes. Um, he will get email notifications uh, whenever, whenever something he needs to be aware of about that particular JIRA issue. Uh, usually my emails have all the information he needs, such as details, attachments, screenshots, etc., he sits next to me, and he always asks me things like, what happened to that issue, and expects me to give him a 5 to 10 minute detailed explanation every single time he asks. I have made comments to him a couple of times, such as, did you read my email, or read my email first and ask me if you need any further information. But when I make those comments, he gets upset or angry, which I feel is counterproductive and bad for my career. On the flip side, if he sends an email, he expects me to act immediately on that email. He and I are both developers, and our roles are 90% the same, so we both get the same number of emails slash responsibility, except I'm reporting to him. He is not managing a big team, but only two people, including me. How can I ask him to read emails without spoiling my career? <laughs> you know, because there, there's nothing a boss loves more than being asked... Or, or being told, read my read my email first and ask me if you need further information. <laughs> yeah, that goes over really well. I know that uh -huh. when when I've confronted any of my supervisors with, hey, why don't you do some other sort of work? They have responded with, you know, that sounds great. I'd love to take on additional work. Right. Yeah, I, so not not even specifically the monotony of email, but asking them to do any additional work is is a bad time um i mean i i get where this person is coming from like in a in a small way i especially for a a small time supervisor that doesn't have like you know that doesn't have like hundreds of emails a day coming into them um if, if you email the person that's supposed to be making decisions and they they don't read the email they they come to you asking for information um that's wasting the time that, that you spent typing up that email and wasting the time for that conversation. Like one of those two is wasted. So I, I, I get the frustration because you don't want to have to say the same things over and over and over. And typically, like for me, if I sent an email, I probably spent 15 minutes minimum crafting it. Even like a two sentence email, I'm going to just ruminate and obsess and... I'm going to to craft that email until there is no life left, only perfection. And and for somebody See, to not read an email that I sent, it, it does feel bad. I think we've got two paths forward here. Uh-huh. The, the supervisor is the supervisor. And there's not a whole lot we can do there, although we could get into that. If he doesn't want to read email, he's not going to read email. So the simplest solution to this is to stop sending email. But okay. I think that's a sucker's bet. 
what you want to do is you now know that you can write anything in the email <laughs> and he's not going to read it. Sure. He's going to come to you. So you now have the opportunity to create two completely different narratives, one for posterity and one for right now. Oh, so you can put into email all about how he had agreed to everything that you want to do. And he's not going to disagree with you in the moment. He's going to come and he's going to ask you about things. You'll have a conversation and a discussion. Then you can go do whatever the fuck you want. And when it comes back on you, you can just say, well, it was in the email. We agreed on it. And then he's got to go back and read the email and go, huh. Oh, I mean, that's that's fairly bulletproof, I feel. Um, I'm not saying I've done this before, Derek, but I've done this before. <laughs> um, I mean, so A plus for effectiveness. Absolutely. Um, and if you're looking for a way to you know, cover cover your butt so you don't get in, get in trouble or to you know, lay the trap for him to uh, eventually get fired. I think both. I think that's a great strategy. That that's good, um, but at the same time, I'm not saying it's not effective. It's going to be, be effective for those things, but it's not fixing the now. It's setting up for him to be, you know, removed later. But it's not fixing the now. Well, it's it's all about playing that long game, Derek. That's what I said. You can't really work with the fact that he's the supervisor unless you remove him as the supervisor. And you do that through your newfound power of making these double narratives. I mean, I, I see that. I, I, I think you're right because then, and, and you know, you could get you could get silly with it too. Like if you, um, I, I do like putting things in emails very occasionally for for people that don't actually read my emails. Um, something you know, kind of nonsensical, just to see if anybody actually reads it. Um, there have been a couple of times where people have been like. Well, what did you mean by that? And I know they read my email. Some people just, you know, I, I put that in there for months and nobody ever notices it. Um, so, okay. So, so here's my thing. I think, I think there's a chance that we can, that we can fix this, but not through regular emails. Um, I think what you're going to have to start doing or, or so here's my proposal. I say, that they start recording their emails um, in video form, like doing a little vlog about uh, whatever is going on, and then just sending a link to their manager with, you know, with no description, no nothing, just to res just to send that to their manager and have them watch it. Do you think so that would be more effective he's... or less effective? That's my question. I don't know if he's going to be willing to watch a video where he wouldn't read an email. It seems like this person craves human interaction. And that means he's some sort of monster. <laughs> you know, that, that makes sense. That, that really does because um, not both, both parts of the argument make sense. A, if he's not going to read something, he probably won't watch a video of it either. Um, Cause you watching the video, 
and listening does require uh, headphones, more input, not so great. Um, but I think you're right. I think this person doesn't want to read email specifically because they want to go and talk to their coworkers uh, or this particular coworker. I think you save time. You're going to have to, you want to continue writing the emails, but since you know they're not being read, you can make it really quick by just having every single email filled with Laura Mipsum. Okay, yeah, that that's just so it looks like you responded, so he has some reason to walk over, but uh, you didn't actually put any effort into it. Exactly. You you might have like three words that are, "Hey, I got your email," <laughs> and then, and then it's just Laura Ipsum. After that, that's that's pretty good. It it definitely like like I said, there, there were two problems initially. You know, you kind of had to pick either one. Either you know you're wasting time with the emails or you're wasting time with the conversation. This this fixes the first one. So you. You are, excuse me, yeah, the first one. Uh, so no more wasting time with emails. I'm going to, I'm going to submit a, a second possibly effective way of doing this. And this is kind of the, um, I would say the, uh, the, the, the pedantic way of doing this, which, which Frank, I think you may find somewhat desirable. So I'm listening. <laughs> okay, so you send the email, you know they're not going to read it. Go ahead and print it off. And then when he arrives at your desk, you're going to give him the audiobook version <laughs> of I the email <laughs> that you just sent. <laughs> you present the email as a as a performance piece. Exactly. <laughs> You start with the salutation. Uh-huh. Just, hey, John. And then, and then you continue from there. I like <laughs> this. Is... I like it. You're saving time. You don't actually have to come up with any sort of conversation. And that was, right. that was sort of in the same vein as where I was thinking. Because I was thinking that if you've, if you've written the email and you want to save the energy, that instead of having the conversation, you just do the Ferris Bueller. Which would be in this case you're going to need what? a mannequin, ah. and you're going to put the mannequin in your chair, and you're going to dress the mannequin up like you, and then when he comes over, he'll have a conversation with the mannequin. Yeah, that's that's going to end up with you getting fired, I think. Well, n I mean, not necessarily. I mean, if it's a convincing mannequin, I could I could see that. Um, I I would say that it would take a little a little bit of uh pre-planning or like you know you have to know your your boss's pattern so that like once you send the email you know how much time you have to set up the mannequin um because if he's like really quick about it if like you know you send him the email in like 30 seconds he's at your desk then you know you, you really have to be very very quick about setting it up but um if if you've got like i would say minimum of 15 minutes to to set up this elaborate ruse does that sound fair? 15 minutes? I mean, I think that's a lot. For for the kind of manager that I've seen where you send them an email and they immediately manage by walking around, 
I don't think you're going to have a lot of time. I think you're going to need to set up the mannequin, and then you're going to need to set up a complete secondary desk underneath your current desk. Okay. All right. So so essentially, you you pre-set up the mannequin and the voice and the, the, the tape recorder and everything, and underneath your your actual desk, you have this, this secondary desk that you use to then craft the email and send it. Exactly. That's where you're actually oh. sitting doing the work. You've got the mannequin up top. You're a software developer. You can write a couple of routines that whenever he says something, your mannequin just goes, uh-huh, sure, <laughs> I can do that. We have machine yeah. learning. We have the power. We can do this. I understand. I'll make sure to do that. I'll put that on my to-do list. Um, I Honestly, I think this is the foolproof plan. Um, and, and that can be used for a lot of things. Not not just for like getting out of things with your managers, but it can also handle the small talk with your coworkers. Anything where you don't want to have human interaction, I, I think you can set this up for. Now, the only question is, how do we how do we make this a service and then make money off of this? Because I feel this is an untapped market. Hmm. I mean, this is probably, again, one of those uh, one of those opportunities for delegator. Oh, where we, uh, we outsource it. Yeah. So so we have delegator, which is, you know, our our application for the universal gig economy. Yes, yes. This could be an, another service that we provide through Delegator. I think that's perfect. Want to hit an audience question? I am struggling to work constructively with one of the people at my office. He has an enormously outgoing personality and wants to talk to everyone constantly. It's not a problem where he doesn't get his work done, or even that I don't like him. It's just I have such extreme social anxiety that just contemplating being in the same room with him freaks me out. I've started moving around, working from empty conference rooms, claiming to be in meetings, just to keep him from stopping by to chat every hour or so. Do I continue with my charade? Do I confront him about my desire to be talked to less? Will I sound like an asshole? Anxious and Alameda. The answer to the final question is yes. So yes. we'll just go ahead and get that out there. I don't think that social norms of any sort allow you to be like, hey, can you stop talking to me because I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah, there, there is nothing that will allow you to do that and get what you want, um, which is unfortunate. I know that that seems to be a, a gap in, in the social construct, but, but it's not possible. You, you are you are stuck and you know whenever you say it like that like you know, you, you feel bad about it because this person is you know they're probably very kind very outgoing very personable um you're basically going to tell them to their face you are are too happy and it makes me upset <laughs> like is there is there any way to thread that needle though, Derek? I don't know. I mean, we're we're writing it off out of hand. That's my initial instinct is that you you just you can't you can't tell somebody that you don't want to talk to them. But is there a way to tell somebody without hurting their feelings that you'd like for them to sit down and shut the fuck up? I mean, I know that you could probably have an adult conversation with them. But that requires a a level of um, social or emo emotional intelligence that 
that I do not have. It is dangerously close, dangerously close to conflict, which I I do not handle well. So so I don't know mm. how to I don't know how to recommend something that would bridge the gap. Um, because I mean, we've talked about it before. Like, I am not going to I'm not I don't want to make people upset or cause hurt feelings. So like I would be on the side of continuing the charade. Like, I mean, how would you handle it? Because I, I feel like this would be one of the things that you you would not necessarily enjoy a, a coworker that that just sat next to you and, and talked all the time. Um, well, I mean, I moved to Seattle for a reason, Derek. <laughs> so what you're saying is you may not be the best judge of a good option here. I'm like my initial my initial thought is is there some sort of made up semi disease like the infamous gluten intolerance not not celiac <laughs> celiac is a serious condition sure right but everybody's on the gluten free diet and i'm wondering if there's some sort of similar thing where you can you can claim for medical reasons that you have a conversation intolerance you can be lactose intolerant. You can be gluten intolerant. Is it is it possible to be conversation intolerant? Now, I I don't know if there's an official diagnosis, but I I bet you could you could make this convincing. Now, now here's here's my here's my strategy for this. So you you probably won't get a doctor's note because nobody's going to diagnose you with that because it doesn't exist, but. What you do is if you have a mild allergy, um, we're not talking like, you know, severe, like um, if it if it sends you into uh, anaphylaxis, chances are this is this is not the, the, the strategy for you. But if you have something like I have a mild allergy to like like pineapple and stuff like that, um, you know, there's some things that like when you eat it, it's going to give you like some some hives and stuff like that. Things that, that like me and pork. Exactly. Perfect example. So, you know, what you need to do is start setting this up to where every time they come over to you, you introduce that uh, agitating substance or, or whatever it is uh, to your system to where about five minutes into the conversation, you, you'll break out in hives. And so every time he comes over, I start chewing on a Cuban sandwich. <laughs> I mean... I, I will say that's a little bit of, of mixed signals to your body because, like, if that were me and every time a person came over, I got a Cuban sandwich, <laughs> I, think, I think I'd want them to come over all the time. Um, well, see, that's that, that was what I was thinking because I do kind of miss a good Cubano. <laughs> and, and this would give me a reason... Okay, so it's 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 not that uh, you're you're wanting to um, rewire your brain to positive reinforcement, but this is just, you know, you you want to to get the hives, but you also want the pork. So this is the way to do to kill two birds with one stone and solve two problems at once. Yeah, except okay. he might be able to draw the connection when I'm saying later, "Hey, it's not you, it's me. I have a conversation intolerance. It causes me to break out in hives whenever someone talks to me." He might go, yeah, but at the same time, you're always eating a Cuban sandwich whenever I walk over. Is it possible that's the cause of your hives? I mean, 
I don't feel that that I that if if somebody was breaking in hives, I would assume it was the Cuban sandwich that did it. Like, I I don't feel that, that is a normal uh, line of logic. Unless now, if you keep your your uh, pork intolerance a secret, I think you can pull it off. Now, you know, I know that you like to share with people, and you like to tell people about yourself. Um, so I know it's gonna be hard, but. You need to keep it to yourself so that you can pull that out and and use it for deterrent if you need it. See, for me, I think what I could do, uh, the pork sandwich is probably a bad idea. It takes a long time, and I'm going to enjoy it too much. You're right. Right. <laughs> I think instead what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to do a line of ground-up pork rinds. Oh. <laughs> Just Scarface style. Just rolled up hundred dollar bill. <laughs> just, just crush those, crush those chicharrones until they're a fine powder, and get them straight to the gourd. Yep, and then just break out in hives and be like, "Oh no, it's it's happening again. I can't, I can't handle conversation. I have to go take some allergy medications and lie down for a while because you talk to me again." It's not you. I love you. We are the best of friends. It's it's this stupid conversation intolerance that I have. <laughs> I'll be honest. I'm really distracted about the physical mechanics of of, of snorting pork rind dust. I, I so I think it's effective. You you have to be you'll have to be a little bit secretive about um, snorting unless you have like a little um what are those little things a little snuff cap. Or whatever. Um, oh, one of the rings like they yeah. used to have for snus back in the day. Those are. Uh huh. It would be an awesome reason to wear a ring. Right. <laughs> I do worry that might be a conversation starter, which might make the problem a little bit worse to begin with. Um, but after you stick to your plan and uh, get your little little snifter of uh, of pork rind dust, man, that's that's got to be bad for the old sinuses, huh? <laughs> Oh, I, I imagine that you're going to be out a lot with, with sinus infections or something if that's the route you decide to take. I, I don't imagine. I mean, I don't imagine that, that introducing ground tobacco into the sinuses was, you know, a, a really good health solution either. Right. So maybe maybe snorting pork rinds it would be fine. I don't think I'm necessarily going to undertake the necessary testing to tell right. you whether or not. And, you know... And the thing is, is that you got to be real careful about the flavor of pork rinds you pick, because if they're not plain, you got a whole another mess of issues. Like if you get those like, like spicy chile, uh, oh, yeah. chicharrones, get the spicy ones. you're, mm. you're, you're going to be in a bad way real quick. Like <laughs> get the habanero lime kind. <laughs> That's, that'd be a terrible look. So, it also would probably work, though, because every time they come over, you start screaming and fall down on the ground holding your face, so they're they, less they, likely to try and talk they, to you. Yeah, they they might uh, they will stop talking to you, but they might be concerned um, about a couple of things. But, so, okay, so this is effective. Uh, like I said, you know, I would definitely be the person that would keep up the charade, like, like keep avoiding things, like... Literally, I have stopped going to like like Starbucks's because like like somebody will ask me a question, I will give a stupid answer, and all of a sudden I've said something I can't take back. Like 
I have and burned. Never go to that Starbucks again. Yeah, I, I've burned that that Starbucks. Like I can't, I can't go back there. And it's really difficult to explain to people um, the 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 aversion that I have to going back to those places because when you when you say it out loud, like I I don't go to that coffee shop anymore because I I said a stupid thing to a, to somebody who makes you know eleven dollars an hour and does not give a shit about like me or that conversation, but still I I won't go there because I'm worried that they will remember. It it doesn't sound good, but it makes sense to me. This is why there are so many Starbucks in Seattle, because <laughs> Seattle is full of software developers, and they keep having to do this. So you could burn like one co- one Starbucks a week, uh, do all the the weird social stuff that you want uh, at one per week, and you could still get coffee every week for about ten years. Oh yeah, no. I mean, around here you can you can be like, man, this Starbucks is burned. I guess I'm gonna have to cross the street <laughs> to the other Starbucks. Oh, you know, <sighs> we back in the the late '90s, early 2000s, we made a lot of fun of Starbucks. Like, not me, 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 me and you, but like as a culture, we made fun of Starbucks for being literally on every corner across the street from one another. But now I can see. They were setting it up for for somebody just like me, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Want to get to an issue from the internet, Derek? Let's do it. All right, this question is entitled, How to Get My Friends Slash Partner to Stop Texting Me Pointless Content by Slow Loris. So this is a little bitty cute monkey emailing this to us. Oh, I, I, yeah. Poisonous, I think. Are they poisonous? I don't... Yeah, venomous. I, actually, you know they they've got I think a little thing where they can stab people. <laughs> All right, I'm making a note to Google that after we're done, but I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to flex on you right now, but we'll see. <laughs> anyway, Stabby Monkey says, <laughs> Stabby Monkey says, I have a handful of close friends, including my partner, who frequently text me a completely random picture or video of something of something cute and or funny. Uh, this person really likes using slashes and, and other like parentheticals, so buckle up. This is rough. Uh, <laughs> and or funny that they found on the internet. I find this very irritating, but for years my response has been to either ignore it and pretend I was too busy to reply, or I reply with a one-word answer, e.g., uh, ha ha, lol, cute. Uh, replying or deciding whether to reply is always stressful for me because it feels disingenuous. And I always waste a few moments of my life thinking maybe I should tell them how I really feel since I can't seem to figure it out from my lack of enthusiasm uh, or the fact that I have never once reciprocated. But in the end, I usually go with one of my one-word answers because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings and I don't want them to stop texting me about other important things. I would estimate that this happens on average once per day from each of these friends. Sometimes they skip a day. Other times I may get five in one day from one friend. Sometimes the intrusions are more involved than just a picture or a short video. It could be a 20-minute video or something I'm supposed to read. Uh, I have been present when they each get such messages from each other, and it seems like their response is typically a mixture of, aw, so cute, and yay, my friend saw a random cute slash funny thing and thought of me. So I understand that they want me to feel that way when they send me these things, and I appreciate the intent. So my question boils down to this. 
how do I get my friends and partner to stop texting me random cute slash funny stuff from the internet in a way that ideally won't hurt their feelings too much or cause them to stop reaching out to me in other ways that I like? God damn. Yeah, this is this is just the same question we dealt with already, Derek. I mean, we're back to doing lines of pork rinds here. <laughs> So I, I think um, I think that's better done in person. So if, if you're if you're snorting uh, lines of pork rinds in your own time, I don't think that's somebody's concern that, that's sending you funny stuff. Um, I will say, like, just the overwhelming sentiment that I'm getting from this person is that they have a a full tree lodged squarely up there behind, like. Like there, there oh, yeah. are branches popping out of their ears. Um, this person is a certified dickhead. I yes. understand. Like I, I get part of this. Like if my friends were sending me like funny stuff, like a funny twenty minute video, and there's five of them uh, sending me. So, so let's say how many hours in a day are there? Twenty four hours. Let's say that you know one friend sends me something funny every hour. Uh, if it's 20 minutes long, then a third of my waking day uh, or more is spent watching shit that this person sends me. So, like, the extremes of it I get. Like, you don't want to be say, literally... It's like an edge case, though. Huh? It, it is an edge case. But but it is... It's the fear of of it taking up their entire life. I, I get that. But, like, <laughs> if somebody likes me enough to send me... Uh, you know, a funny cat or a bunny or or something that they that they I, I don't know, something that, that that made them happy and they send it to me. I'm going to be thankful because typically I'm probably I'm probably you can guess that I'm probably having anxiety somewhere like it's just really, a Derek, safe bet. we we hadn't noticed <laughs> you can, at any point in the day. You, if you think is Derek having anxiety right now, there's a fifty-fifty shot that I will be having anxiety right then. So, uh, Derek I, is having anxiety about people realizing that Derek has anxiety. So there we are. You're you're not wrong. Um, so, like this this would be something that I would enjoy is, is to to have people send me stuff. Now it's the it is the expectation of you know reciprocating that is that is a problem um, because I I've I've never been one to send funny stuff to other people. That's just, I don't know why. I, I've never felt the need to like, I see something funny and then share it to other people. I guess it's because I'm worried that they will not find it funny and then, then that will make me fit. Okay. <laughs> there are multiple levels of anxiety to this question. I'm going to shut up for a minute and ask, what do you think about this, Frank? Goddamn. Well, for me, Derek... <laughs> This is where the modern world comes to the rescue. Uh-huh. With two things that okay. are going to save this person. The first is thumbnails. There's usually a thumbnail on any video that gets sent to you. Right. And it, it probably will show the title or maybe something that is going on in the video. It gives you a scant amount of information, but it gives you enough information. The second thing that's going to save them is emojis. 
because that's all you got to do. You got to look at the thumbnail and then you respond with the appropriate emoji. If it's a friend and it's something good, you just give it the thumbs up. If it's a friend and they send you something and and it's a cat video, you just send back like a cat head emoji and a thumbs up. Done. We're we're good. We didn't even have to watch the video. <laughs> so I think for for ninety percent of cases, I think you are correct. But what about that one time that they send you a video where it's it's a picture of a cute cat, and the title says "You'll never believe what happens," and the cat dies in the video, and you send like a like a bunch of like laughing, crying emojis, like that that seems like it would say something that you don't want it to say about you. I mean, I'm, then you're just going to have to stick with the narrative, Derek. You're going to have to double down. Because it'll solve two problems. One, they'll stop sending you cat videos because you're some kind of fucking monster. And two, you'll probably have fewer friends. Right. Which, isn't that what this person really wants? That's what it's all about. That's what this whole fucking podcast is about. It's <laughs> how to lose friends and alienate people. <laughs> I'm going to write a book. <laughs> that's Oh, that's got to be. If we ever do write a book, that's got to be what it's fucking called. Oh. <laughs> how to lose friends and alienate people. <laughs> oh, I, I think this person needs to to learn to love it. And uh, I, I think your emoji strategy is correct, especially in this day and age when, when like emojis and whatnot are getting so, because like back in our day, so so back in like late nineties, early two thousands, when you know I think probably both of us started using internet enabled devices, uh, emoticons were very primitive. Like, oh yeah, they were they were a you know a, a colon or semicolon and a you know a closing parenthetical like. They were very basic. Um, so we had to make do with, um, you know, not that they didn't produce a lot of emotion. We had to produce ASCII art uphill both ways in the snow. Right. <laughs> these kids these days, they've got it so easy. They've got their their stickers and their animated GIFs and stuff that uh, they, they don't have to craft this ASCII art. They just have to... To, to click a link or, or you know, click one button and all of a sudden it's this elaborate uh, reaction. I mean, through the miracle of emoji technology, just the other day, I was able to wish a friend happy birthday by sending them balloon cake balloon. <laughs> and, and nary a bit of English was used. Oh, no, it took uh, it took three seconds. Oh God, um, we we not we as in you and I, but like as a culture, I think we um, we often look back at the hieroglyphics as boy, how in the world did they communicate with with just symbols like just like you know you know pictures and and you know using small things to mean bigger things, um, which I guess is what letters are all about, but. It was specifically pictures in this case. Um, are we heading back to that? Like, are emojis going to be 
the 21st century's hieroglyphics? I think they're already there, Derek. I mean, you can send television, eggplants, sweat drops, question mark. (laughs) Um, No need to type out Netflix and chill, question mark. Right. Um, See, I... I'm I'm now concerned because you know I I from the sidelines like I saw this like emoji culture and stuff happening and I didn't feel that it was an actual like threat to to culture. I thought this was a flash in the pan that we we were going to get over this. Like <laughs> this too shall pass. Um but I'm now concerned this this may be um uh some sort of vision into the future. I have a lot of existential shit to worry about now. <laughs> All I have to say, Derek, is question mark, fist, fist, clock face. I don't know what those mean. I'm scared. I'm scared and confused. Is this what it feels like to get old? Frank, tell me. Yes, Derek. <laughs> This is what it's like to get old. We'll never oh. understand anything ever again. We're going to have to contact the children to get them to explain how to use whatever comes after computers. Oh, where is the hotline where I can send a picture of emojis and get back a, a an explanation for what it means? Like some sort of it's basically a translation service. Like, where's the Google Translate for this? We've got Spanish to English. We've got Japanese to French. We've got all this. Where is the emoji to English translator? God. Man, I've got so much existential shit to worry about now. Let, let's <laughs> let's punch the clock. I'm, oh, I'm in a state. <sighs> Are you ready for that? Is that okay with you, Frank? Let's do it. Okay. All right, before we go, please, please send us your questions. We had a lot of fun here this week, and we want to keep that fun going. So if you would, think about your life, your work, and balance, imbalance, and send us, (laughs) not emojis. Do not send us emojis. (laughs) Whatever you send must be 80% text for us to ask it as a question. Is that fair? Is that asking too much, Frank? I don't know. I'm I'm willing to take on the challenge, Derek. I think if someone <laughs> sent us a question completely composed in emojis, I would read it and attempt to answer it. <laughs> okay. All right. I I retract my previous statement. Uh, for the next for the next six weeks, we are opening a, a window of time uh, in which you can send us an emoji laden question. And we will attempt to bru- we will butcher it, but we will attempt attempt to answer it. Um, uh, you can send those to questions at wlicast.com. Uh, if you want to help support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash wlicast and become a patron. Uh, you'll get some cool swag to show off your WLI pride. Uh, also, check out our website uh, at wlicast.com, where you will find links to our social media and our merch store. And there is nothing better for growing our audience than word of mouth. So that means if you like the show, share us with people you know and tell them all about us. Tell them that we're keeping it 100. (laughs) God damn it.
This has been the Work-Life Imbalance Podcast. I'm Frank Eastman. I'm Derek Lewis. And with that, I think we're going to have to transfer you. I'm going dro- to have nightmares about emoticons now. Or emojis. This is... I think they... Didn't they make an emoji movie? They did. We've reached... We've reached the end, Derek. <laughs> the Ouroboros has, has almost eaten the entire body of the snake and it's the the, the lips of the, the Ouroboros are on the back of the head of the, the Ouroboros. We have just about gone out of existence. <laughs>